What does this song mean? My whole life, I don't know what this song means. I mean, should old acquaintance be forgot? Does that mean that we should forget old acquaintances? It doesn't mean that if we happen to forget them, we should remember them, which is not possible because we already forgot them. Well, maybe it just means that we should remember that we forgot them or something. <laughs> anyway, it's about old friends. Whoever drinks beer, he is quick to sleep. Whoever sleeps long does not sin. Whoever does not sin enters heaven. Thus, let us drink beer. Welcome back to the Go to Hell podcast. Strong opinions weekly held on Christianity, faith, and beer. Please subscribe, rate, and review the Go to Hell podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm your host, Tim Curley, along with my co-host, Colton Pierce. Colton, Christmas Day, outhouse or the penthouse? Uh, I did not get put into the outhouse. How about that? I did not, or the doghouse or anything like that. The gift went well. Um, if you've been following along with us, uh, we've used our Roomba several times. So Yeah, I remember I bleeped it out in, in the last week's episode. So uh, you gave her an iRobot Roomba. That's right. Uh, we did not talk about it before the show. So when I guessed it, that was not... I truly that guessed genuine. it. That yeah, was that like, was, pulled it, pulled yeah, it out 100%. of my behind. That was hilarious. Uh, and yes, and they were here, uh, they, you and your wife, the lovely Audrey spent some time at our house on Christmas day and she was, uh, very pleased with it. Yes. I was not thrown out immediately. (laughs) Uh, yeah. How was Christmas for you? Christmas was great. We had uh, most of the family here. Uh, youngest son was in Oklahoma could make it here with his wife, but everybody else was here. We had my mom here and kids and grandkids, and it was a full house. And nice. then you guys were here, too. We had That's a right. big old brunch breakfast, and I think I don't, I don't think I ate the whole rest of the day. It was just pretty much ate brunch, and then it was you and I had uh, whiskey sours with our, with our brunch, and then... Uh, Polished it off with a few beers. That's right. The Swami from uh, Pizza Port and uh, which one was it from Coronado? Oh, weekend, their main their weekend main vibes. weekend vibes. Their main IPA, both delicious. Yeah, and uh, and tonight we're drinking beer. Tonight, it's, tonight's our New Year's uh, episode, so we have a very special beer. We're celebrating. We uh, so when I we do our pilgrimage once a year to um, <laughs> to up north. We actually go up north twice a year now, um, but uh, we do one just for beer. And so this year we went to. 
um, Russian River, and we got Pliny the Younger in April. Um, it was their new selected date because of, uh, you know, all the stuff with COVID and, and all that. And so we were able to have it in April, and it went really well. And so we had an extra bottle of Pliny the Younger rolling around somewhere. And so uh, that is what we are drinking tonight. If you're unaware, it's a very special beer. It's only served for two weeks out here um, at a very well known brewery um called russian river if you're an ipa connoisseur this is kind of one of those um pinnacle beers that you want to try um before you die kind of stuff so um, people come from all over the world for these two weeks to santa rosa to try uh younger and if you go it's like an eight hour wait yeah um to get beer this year very early in the morning yeah this year we got to wait uh, we found our niche um and i'm not going to say what time that we showed up in line but we showed up there at in line and we were able to wait only a certain amount of time that was really actually really comfortable and we were able to get in with the first wave and it really wasn't bad especially like you did all the work just to be clear you, you were the one who sat and read your book while others of us went and foraged for food and a couple oh. of us had a couple uh morning uh whiskey sours <laughs> literally opened the bar we were at the night before the manager when we walked in said hey you were here last night when we closed and we said yeah so were you expect us all weekend yeah and there was uh, like with the so yeah, huge lines. We we got in with first wave. It wasn't like it's not that big of a deal. It's just you get up, you go. Um, now, and I hope I hope the people at Russian River know that we love them so very much. The beer is delicious, one hundred percent. And unless you bring friends and have a good time with your friends waiting in line, then it's probably not worth it for a lot of you out there. No. So. Um, but it's great. You get three hours in the place. That's how much you're allotted. You're allowed only three of that beer while you're there. Um, but while you're there, even though this is such a prestigious beer that's highly sought after, it's only five bucks a glass, So, um, which is just awesome. <laughs> and we were there for way – I think we were there for four and a half hours. Our waiter was very <laughs> it, lax. On it goes by time. so fast too. You know what we should do? We should, we should do a live – broadcast this the coming up this year you, you and i uh, bust our phones out and we'll do a, yeah. a quick live a live uh nice little live episode for our uh for our uh what is our subscriptions or yeah. whatever yeah our, our patreon subscribers yeah so we're drinking that right now um it's tasty it's delightful it's a triple ipa but it yeah i mean what abv on this is only like i don't want to say a number that's incorrect but yet, uh, 10.25. It's really not that high for a triple. So no. a lot of doubles now are about that. So it's delicious. It's it awesome. Is. Yeah. So New Year's Eve. You got any, uh, or New Year's, uh, you got any, uh, uh, goals for the year? What am I thinking of? Uh, uh, resolutions? resolutions? I don't do resolutions. resolutions. No? No. Oh, bah humbug. Resolutions are for liars. Bah humbug. Uh, no, I don't have any resolutions. I had resolutions this last year. I think I'm going to make them for this year. But mine were for this last year, which I'm not going to make. There's no way I can make it. I mean, there is. If I read like Redfish, Two Fish, or One Fish, Two Fish, Redfish, Blue Fish. Uh, I said that for the year I wanted to read 24 books. Um, and all the books that I read are 
are like for leisure reads is what I was saying was they're they're all hefty like we're looking at like a thousand pages 890 pages that kind of stuff and so i do have a couple that are like 400 and so that kind of stuff so those are kind of easier to get through i wanted to read 24 two per month and i didn't get it i'm gonna be at i'm gonna be a little short i'm gonna be about three books short and i'm like dang it uh, but other than that, I had resolutions, you know, to like fish once a month. And I wasn't able to fish every month because it got really cold or it got really hot. But I fished enough outside of those days to make up for it. So I fished so much that John Denver was one of my most played uh, artists of the year. <laughs> and I exclusively listen to John Denver when I'm fishing. So it was great. I don't know what the 2023 has in store for me. Part of that's out of my hands, but that's for uh, for that's a topic for another day. All right. You know what I speak. I know. I know. Uh, okay. Clean up on aisle five. You gotta say for yourself this time. You gotta clean up on aisle four. Clean up on aisle four. Clean up on aisle four. Clean up on aisle five. Clean up on aisle three. Clean up on aisle three. Clean up on aisle seven. Clean up on aisle seven. <laughs> clean up in all the aisles. <laughs> yeah, it's a clean up on aisle five. Uh, like we said, uh, last week we did the Christmas episode. We hope you enjoyed it. This is our New Year's episode. So these we've done out of sequence because we did want to do these in a, you know, when they're in a timely manner. We did want to ring in the holidays. Um, and then we'll get back on track. We still have, I don't know, seven, eight episodes left to post uh, from what we've been um, what we've already worked on. We've got a big one that's one that's already done. It just needs to be cut in, into two episodes because we went over two hours. Uh, that one's another, it's a follow-up episode on why people are leaving the church. And then we've got, uh, boy, we've got a special episode with our friend Andy where we talk, really, we just talk education, a lot of it. Uh, we got one where we talk about tithing and some... Uh, faith and politics. We've got one that's just a couple of hot topics uh, to take up the whole episode. Um, and then we've got another one where we, Colton and I do our first mu- movie, not review. <laughs> it's a, a movie discussion because it's an old movie. It's We, we discuss the movie Unforgiven, uh, Clint Eastwood movie. Uh, and then what's another one? Oh, and then we have one about... Uh, What's, what does it really take to become a Jesus follower? Is it just saying a little magic prayer? Or is it more than that? What's the tension between the two things? Yeah. So we've got a bunch of topics still coming up. Uh, we'll probably try to get a bunch of those uh, cycled through in the next, uh, right after the new year to get us close to caught up, just so everyone knows. We'll probably keep one or two or three in the hopper just in case so we've got fresh content if he and i need to take a week off or we have an emergency there's still a new show we don't have to do a a rerun yeah Uh, since again hardly any of our episodes are topical that we're not dealing with breaking news or anything so even if 
even when we do like a current news story, it's we're not doing it because it's newsworthy. We're we're talking about like a bigger picture issue. Like there's one episode where we talk about a NASCAR driver, and it's not really important that you're going to hear it a couple weeks later than what broke. It's there's a wider discussion that we use um, his story about. So yeah, um, that so uh, that's clean up on aisle five. And let's see if we got any hot topics. I don't think we do. No hot topics tonight. Wow, it's just gonna save be them easy. for next week. We got a couple we can do for next week. It's gonna be easy peasy. Oh, you know, there's something that I would like to know. Okay, if you just joined us, we're talking about who is the best lord, Lord of the Rings, of the Dance, or of the Flies. That's tonight's hot topic. Hot topic. I think that. Last, when you guys get to this episode, you'll, you'll understand what I'm talking about. Because we, we had talked about last week, we had done a little bit on, uh, we had done a little bit at the beginning where we had talked about something that kind of went on, um, where we had watched this kind of funny video of this guy kind of picking people apart. Um, oh, and we didn't yeah. know, and we didn't know a lot of information about this guy. And here's, and we just saw this video and we saw that this guy was extremely intelligent and he was talking about this kind of stuff. If since then you've listened to our podcast and maybe you will listen to it at some point and you will see it, um, you're going to find out. And if you look up this guy or maybe you know him already, you may know who he is and his background. His Here's the, Dan McClellan. Uh, Dan McClellan. The, the thing that we're going to say right now and what I want to just make clear is that whatever his background is, it, it doesn't matter. With the videos that we've seen and the things that have come out, um, and like, let's clarify. So, I'm just saying that for those of you that are listening, Dan McClellan is associated with uh, the Church of Latter-day Saints, or for more commonly known, uh, Mormons. So, um, he teaches at BYU, he went to BYU, um, he has a theology degree and all that kind of stuff, and so he does, however, have an ext- like an unheard of knowledge There's a lot of people that have it, but he has a knowledge of the Old Testament and the New Testament and the Christian New Testament and the and the Hebrew Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible that is amazing. It's awesome. He's able to give insight into a lot of things and that kind of stuff. And so if you go and watch these videos, again, what I would encourage and what we've hopefully discussed about a couple of times on this podcast is that you can learn from lots of people who can be experts on lots of different subjects and be able to enlighten you on a lot of different things. So if you shut down because we talked about a Mormon in our podcast or the, and we said that this guy was awesome and that he was funny and he was like picking people apart. We don't want him to pick us apart because we said something dumb, that kind of stuff. Um, again, we can learn a lot from other people and uh, people that have studied other things and that kind of stuff. And so that's really awesome uh, to see. So I don't if you if you heard us say his name and you knew who he was and you're like, oh, these guys are just letting this like Mormon like, you know, say something that's not OK. I don't think that that's acceptable to say. Um, we can learn a lot from lots of different people um, around the world um, based off of a variety of different religions and a variety of different expertises and still learn a lot. So that's what I would say. Uh, yeah, so two things to follow up with. One, 
Yeah, his undergrad is from BYU. He has, I think, two other degrees. Two or three other degrees. One's from, like, Cambridge or Oxford or something. I think one's from Trinity Seminary. Anyway, he has other degrees from non-Mormon universities. His bio suggests... His bio is kind of back and forth. It's kind of hard for me to find, like, a... What I was certain was an up-to-date bio, but the the sure. two or three that I f- seem to find, I think you would agree, suggests he's back at BYU working on their what was it? Their Bible translation yeah de- yeah department yeah. So, uh, full disclosure: I have family members on my wife's side that are Mormon. Um, I have profound problems with Mormonism. I won't go into any more than that. I just, there's some really profound problems I have with that. Um, but as you said, one, well, one, I don't, he, for what what it's worth, if it does bother you, he doesn't seem to insert any of that into what he's discussing. So he's kind of like, it's almost like. Right, there's not Mormon, like he's not bringing up. If anything, he's very like. Uh, progressive for a Mormon because I mean the way he talks about the Old Testament is very almost secular in that he's he follows the archaeologic he he's like there's no archaeological substance uh, right substantiation ex- for the, this thing right. in the Old Testament so it's just supposition that this happened but I mean he doesn't say it doesn't happen but he's like the flood yeah we don't really have any evidence that the flood actually happened and um. Mo- what we do know about Moses isn't much from the Bible, other than he's basically. Uh, oh, did you watch that? He's a, he's other than did he's you a watch, wine. Did you watch wine. the Moses video? Yeah. Do we know if Moses is real? He's uh, like, yeah. All we know is he was like apparently a wine grower. That's what he was. Yeah, he is extremely exegetical, um, which just means that he removes the spiritual aspects um, when he talks about things. That's actually the approach that if you take any college course, um, even ones at Christian colleges, even Fresno Pacific, uh, well. And I, I don't want to say all Christian colleges, but there are some Christian colleges out there that will ask you that when you are reading the scriptures, they want to make sure that you are reading it exegetically. It's not, what do you get from this passage when you are reading the passage? No, you need to know the historical context, the proof that we currently have of that historical uh, event, and then be able to expand on it. And so, yeah, it, was Moses a real person? That's something that's discussed regularly where it's like, well, we don't know. We like, don't you know. know, it's like... It, we do believe that based off of records and that kind of stuff that there there had to be like a Moses type figure like you know so it didn't necessarily mean that Moses was Moses but it's like so something had to happen in order for whatever to happen happen so you just might as well call him Moses at this point you know so it's just kind of one of those things um, where yeah it's it's good when it comes to McClellan, I I completely agree. There's not he doesn't bring in things that aren't a part of the conversation, and he doesn't try to sway people. Right? This is one of those things where it's like, actually, this is kind of how Christians should act. Right. We shouldn't be there with like this agenda, and people are afraid that if you listen to this guy, then there's some agenda that's coming in. Right. There's this guy who's now going to be like, oh, well, we can't trust him because, you know, what if we're adapting some of his thoughts and that kind of stuff? 
that's not how it should work. You should be able to learn from lots of different religions and lots of different people. You should be able to talk to all those types of people and get insight and talk about your religion. Listen to them about theirs. It doesn't mean that you've been persuaded or that you've left your faith because you're just listening to these people who have really good insight into lots of different things. And you can see similarities. You can even take some of the things that they practice. That's and. And in court, now that, like, listen, people are going to, like, lose their crap over that. I'm saying that there are different things, like, for example, a, a large amount of people believe in and meditation and how it's a good practice for your body and that kind of stuff. Um, there's different religions around the world that you incorporate meditation as part of it. Uh, a lot of American Christianity does not view meditation as meditation. Um, you can view prayer as a form of meditation. Um, there's lots of different ways to view it, but there's a lot of people are often afraid of that word um, because it's often associated with Eastern cultures and Eastern religion. And so we don't want to. We're in our Western sec or our Western religion over here, and we don't want to have this evil Eastern influence yeah. of meditation in our. And I was like, it's it's just prayer. I was like, it's it's prayer, but for a long time. Like, which some people do. Right. I was like, so, I don't know. I. Well, yeah. to what you just said, yeah, there was a, there's a prominent writer from the, in the 60s and 70s, uh, Francis Schaeffer, uh, really popular. He wasn't a theologian or anything. Um, and that was one of his big things was stop trying to, proselytize and sell each person you have a conversation with about Jesus kind of goes back to the friends in low places episode we had where it's just like just hang out right. and talk about your faith as if you talk about your football team obviously this is much more important but the point is like when you sit down you're not like trying to sell you've got to be a Cowboys fan you just like you have a conversation about it be be a human be open about it don't pull any punches, but you're not there to sell someone on it. You're not selling Amway products. I have, <laughs> what do I have to do to get you in a relationship with Jesus Christ today? Yeah. <laughs> um, and then two, going back to your original point, and I think this is huge. This is a great point. We have, and this is, I do think a lot of, some people are listening to this, might disagree with uh, we make broad generalizations particularly about americans and evangelicals maybe sometimes those aren't at, those aren't fair um i think this one is american christians particularly evangelicals very much so evangelicals have this terrible terrible um tendency to any time they read something that they don't agree with from a theologian or a writer or whatever, it's, ooh, that's not biblical. And then you can't listen to anything they ever have to say because it might lead you down that that evil road of, of something that is just not evangelical or biblical. That's funny because we're going to get on that subject later. Folks, I'm sorry. Tim Keller, John Piper, John MacArthur, uh, R.C. Sproul, Mo, uh, 
Moeller, Al Moeller, name your prominent Christian. They're not right about everything they have to say. These are not infallible people, but you've we've made them out to be. Oh, thank goodness you didn't say Olstein. I was like, dang it. I was, I was thinking you were thinking that he said things that were wrong, and I was like, no, it couldn't be him, not Joel Olstein. Stop it <laughs> with the. Stop it with. The, the the pastor the, the, theologian worship. That's what you're doing. And it, you're also not going to lose your faith because you get exposed to someone who thinks about something different than you do. Go download HBO and go watch Righteous Gemstones. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. See where pastor worship gets you. Oh, well... The 80s and the early 90s is is one graveyard full of ex-pastors. Actually, uh, there's a group called the... What's it called? The Shoot. Started by Tim Keller and this other guy. And I really like him. Um, we're going to talk about him later. What's it called? The Gospel Coalition. Oh, yeah. Gospel Coalition's really great. However, they've got like five people that were on their <laughs> founding board who've, who've had to leave their churches because of sleeping around with people and all kinds of other, you know, like Mark Driscoll and a bunch of other ones. So, uh, in fact, the pro- the opposite, the problem is the opposite is we, 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 we make these people into bigger than what they are, and it gets they get a big head, and it gets them into trouble. So anyway, allow yourself to be exposed to icky ideas. I do have a hot topic. I just realized this is a good one too, because it's not a negative one. Usually, our hot topics are some form of negativism, or we're making fun of somebody, and this is not it. So I'm reading from the Wall Street Journal. It's Christmas Eve. It's the tr- and the headline is Tree of Life Massacre Survivors Find Comfort and Joy in Episcopalian Sanctuary. So this is from Pittsburgh. You'll remember, uh, was it within the last 10 years, guy shot up. Oh, it was October 27, 2018. Uh, here I'll just read part of the story Rabbi Jeffrey Myers appeared at Moses as Moses at the Calvary Episcopal Church Christmas pageant this month alongside a baby Jesus and a live camel in the spirit of the production the tree of life rabbi carried a styrofoam likeness of the Ten Commandments up the aisle of the soaring Gothic church and then sang a verse from Deuteronomy afterwards both congregations ate latkes and Christmas cookies while he sang Hanukkah songs. At the end, Rabbi Myers struck a serious note, quote, For me and all of us at Tree of Life, the message is very simple. Don't let the light go out. Much has changed since October 27, 2018, when a gunman stormed the Tree of Life synagogue and killed 11 people from three congregations, Tree of Life, New Light, and Dor Hadash. The massacre has left uh, was the deadliest anti-Semitic attack in U.S. history and left a deep scar in the Jewish community in Pittsburgh. Today, the doors of the synagogues are still locked, 
and a chain link fence surrounds the property. Dor Hadash and New Light now gather at nearby synagogues. Tree of Life does too, but in many ways, its second home is at Calvary. It holds high holiday services of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur at the church and puts on a Purim show there where two priests participate. Last year's theme was the board game Clue. The collaboration started shortly after the attack when Reverend Jonathan Jensen of, of Calvary sent a letter to Rabbi Myers to offer support, including providing space of worship. Our home is your home. It goes on. These two congregations have gotten to know each other. Uh, I mean, it look, the women's group has both Jewish and Christian uh, women in it. There's all, all kinds of like women's groups where they do knitting and stuff like that and they and it's uh jewish and christian the story warmed my heart it is exactly what this podcast talks about right and if you don't know much about judaism particular uh that is a that story is a huge deal i only learned my judaism from kanye west so <laughs> Kidding. Well, when I mean Judaism, I mean culturally. Yeah. In the United States, because American Jews, most Americans, yeah, I would say most American Jews came here after World War II. There is, but even those before World War II, Jews, even in the United States, because they're, okay, there is less anti-Semitism in the United States than anywhere else. There always has been. Do we Have we had... Have we had some? Yes. Have we had too much? Yes. But America has been much more open to Jews than any other country. That said, Jews are still very skeptical, for a good reason, of Christians because of 2,000 years of really bad persecution in Europe. So for a Jewish congregation to set foot in an Episcopal church... And worship together is a big deal. Why are you laughing? Because, <laughs> okay, so you're saying what Christians did to the Jews. Uh, have you seen what is, what, oh, I can't, what's Seth Rogen's movie, his Christmas movie? I have not seen Seth Rogen's Oh, well, then it's no good. We'll talk about it later. There's a part where he's at, where he's in church, and he's wearing an ugly Christmas sweater with the Star of David on it. <laughs> and he's at a Christian church for a Christmas service. And he's, like, sitting there. And I'm pretty sure I've... And he, I'm pretty sure he's high at the time. Sorry, I, uh, for all of our listeners, this is Seth well, Rogen. Well, Seth Rogen. These are Seth Rogen like... movements. If, if, if you don't expect him to hit weed and uh, and eat shrooms, then I don't know what you're expecting from a Seth Rogen film. And so he like looks over and he's like, "Who is that?" And and the chick that's sitting next to him is like, "That's Jesus." And it's literally Jesus hanging on a cross. And he's like, "We did that to him." Oh, okay. <laughs> and he like starts freaking out. And he's like, "No wonder they hate us." He's like, and he's like, try, he's like, "Do you think that they know that I'm Jewish?" And he starts, and they're like, well, "Look at what you're wearing." And he's like, "Oh!" He starts freaking out over what he's wearing. So it's just funny. I'm sorry. Sidetracked. No, you, you made the point. Uh, anyway, <laughs> yeah, it's just, a big deal. Yeah, it, uh, for the next 2,000 years, Christians decided to take out their anger on the Jews. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
So that story warned me. It warmed my heart for Christmas. That was great. No, I think that that was an. I think that's an awesome story, and I think that what you're saying is 100% true. I think that. Uh, I think that Jews have every right to be skeptical. Um, they have been a a suffering nation for a very long time, um, and so uh, it's. It's very nice to see people and um, reach out and and help them and and work with them and create a community with them um, through that. Uh, so I uh, think I do think later on down the article, somebody they they did say <laughs> there was a little there was a little pushback within the congregation about some of the uh, Jewish stuff popping up in the church. But uh, oh wait, no, I need to find that. No, I think actually some of the the Jewish folks had a problem. Oh, let me find it. It was uh, that's what it was. Because uh, the the community the once the Jews moved in, then they started putting up. They normally the cross that has Jesus on it now has a sign above it that says King of the Jews, <laughs> even though it didn't have it before. Oh, I know what it was. I can't find it. I, I can't find it in the article. But basically, uh, <laughs> when they first, when they first, uh, oh, here it is. Both groups had to learn from each other's customs and even words such as nave. Yeah, that's such an old school Christian or narthex. That's what we had at our at the old church we were and kippa. Some Tree of Life members were surprised by the number of crosses in the church, as Mr. Jensen recalls. He said he told them, if you want to get freaked out further, the building is in the shape of a cross. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, Christians, like... Yeah, Christians and their fixation with the cross is really funny. It's it's amusing and horrific for lots of people, probably. Um, uh, yeah. We well, took- that's a good. That's a good. Uh, let, let, we'll write that down. That's a good Easter. Yeah. Why don't we? That, do- that's a good Easter topic because you're right. We we get we're f- fixated. It's literally iconic. I mean, it's liter- the, the cross is literally iconic. Why isn't the tomb the one that's iconic? That's the thing that we should be celebrating. Well, okay, so then my question is, here's why I would say, okay, well, let's think about the... So we have the resurrection of Jesus, and then you have the the cross, right? The two s- separate situations, and this will be our tidbit for our, our Easter service three and a half months from now. Um... At what point are our sins forgiven? In that whole process of that three-day weekend, when are our sins forgiven? Friday, Saturday, or Sunday? Do you believe that it's on Sunday, or do you believe that it's on Friday? Uh, it's probably on Friday. <laughs> that's why That's why there's the fixation with the cross. <laughs> and we'll get into that more. But for right now. Still. <laughs> Something to think about to mull over for the next three and a half months. <laughs> um, okay. What are we talking about tonight, Tim? 
Okay, yeah, we need to move on because we got a we got a meaty meaty topic. So a lot of times, well, I don't want well, to say a lot of times. Sometimes we just get on here and wing it. <laughs> wing it. Uh, tonight there was a lot, a lot of uh, research. So we're gonna play a little uh, a game, so kind of, so to speak. Is this dogma or doctrine? Yeah, we're gonna oh, do okay. dogma doctrine. I'm gonna I'm gonna read. I'm gonna read a bunch do, of things. Do, 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 do. Intro say, intro game music. Yeah. <laughs> You're gonna say whether or not you think it's dogma or doctrine. I'm gonna say whether or not it's dogma doctrine, and then maybe if it's dogma, we'll explain whether or not it's important dogma or nonsense that's split the church kind of thing. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Dogmar Doctrine with tonight's uh, comp- competitors, Tim Curley and Colton Pierce. Uh, they currently sit at a, zero, a nil-nil draw, but anything can happen, folks. Uh, we're not going into double or nothing until a half okay, an hour into So what's actually going to happen tonight is we're going <laughs> to find how much of an apostate Colton really is. <laughs> oh, all right. Here we go. <laughs> Uh, okay, so some of these are going to be redundant. They just might be phrased differently. Wait, tell them where you got these from. Well, we're going to go through we oh, got we're the inter- interwebs. Oh, we got them on the Wikipedia, ladies and gentlemen. No, no, no. no. <laughs> we got it from a very reliable source. No, no, no. So the first two, the first two we're going to do are uh, very important. This is where we're going to find out. We're going to find out immediately how much of an apostate you are. <laughs> All right, the first one we're going to do, we're going to read, I'm just going to read. Should we redefine again what doctrines and dogmas are? Yeah, go for it. Okay, so again, uh, we talked about it a couple times. We have our, our, our circles that go out. We have our center at the very core of our faith is Jesus Christ. That's our core. If you don't believe in Jesus Christ, then I'm sorry, you are just not a Christian. You're out of the faith. Outside of that, you have the dogmas. These are the next most important thing outside of Jesus Christ being the center point of your faith. Mm. Um, outside of that, you have – right? And, and so like for example, again, with the core situation is Jews don't believe in Jesus Christ. So therefore, they are not Christians, right? Like that's just the checkbox that you have. Outside of that, you have the dogmas. Um, those are important pillars of the faith that kind of hold it up from there. Those are kind of other truths that you have to accept in order enough to be a part of the faith. After that, you have doctrines, and these are practices that are uh, engaged by believers. Um, these are not um, detrimental to your faith. These are just how we live out our faith from there. Um, that's you are doctrined to do those types of things. This is what uh, this is where you have your church splits is usually over issues of doctrine. Um, so this is like. Um, whether or not there should be music in church, that kind of stuff. Um, and then you have the realm of opinion, which is far outside of that. We've talked about a lot of our topics, a lot of our hot topics, a lot of the ways that we discuss things come from the realm of opinion um, to where there isn't uh, biblical facts um, that we can point to to sit there and say that this is how we are to respond or this is what it is that we need to do um, or this is how you're supposed to see this text. Um, so... We say that those are in the realm of opinion, and so you can have lots of conversation about them. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it doesn't mean that somebody is not a Christian just because they are having an opinion about a specific topic. Okay. We're ready to rock and roll. All right. The first one I'm going to read from is the Apostles' Creed. 
Are you familiar with the Apostles' yes, Creed? Yes, I'm familiar with the Apostles' Creed. Remember, my wife is uh, is Reformed, her, United his, Reformed. His, I've been to those church services where you have to read, it, read every it every single Sunday. time. So Apostles' Creed's from the 8th century. Yes. It's based on the old Roman Creed. It's very, very similar. Can I get a buzzer? Um, and the old Roman Creed was basically, they think it's from about the 2nd century. Uh Okay, so I'm going to read it. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go point by point. I'm not going to read literally. I'm going to amend them so that they read better. We're going to just go one. And then you say doctrine, dogma, doctrine, dogma. Okay. And then when we're done, doctrining and doctrining and dogming, dogmaing, I will then read the whole thing. So if somebody's not familiar with what the uh, Apostles, Creed. Apostles' Creed is, I'll read it as it. Okay. As you would, as you would read it in a Dutch Reformed church or other similar church. Yes. All right. God is creator of heaven and earth. That is a dogma. You have to believe that. But just, you wouldn't say it's doctrine. No, I said it was dogma. <laughs> but you have to believe it. Wait, hold on. Um, yeah, yeah, dogma. Isn't dogma something we hold to, but it's not really central to the faith? No, that's the opposite. Doctrine, doctrine is. Are the, you sure about that? Yes. All right. If anybody disagrees, you literally just heard me explain I know it. You did. I said I'm, you had the core. Sure you're correct. You have the cores at the center. Then you have the dogmas. Then you have the. Well, you said doctrine, dogma, doctrine. No, I said dogma the entire time. I said dogma is what you I said. Believe. The first doctrine is that Jesus Christ. No, the, Jesus Christ is the... No, that is the core. That's the core of our faith. Right. Then you have the dogmas that come out from there, and then you have the doctrines that come out from there, and then you have the opinion out from there. All right. There. Okay? Jesus Christ is God's only son. Dogma. All right. Agree. Jesus was... Con- agree that you... If we're going by dogma, yes, I agree. Okay. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Dogma. All right. Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. Dogma. <laughs> I'm like looking for a trap somewhere. Jesus, under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, buried, and descended into hell. Dogma. Oh, you're hung up on the last. You're hung up on yeah, the last. Yeah, you know word. that. That's what's frustrating. Yes, dogma. He was abandoned by God. Therefore, you have on the third day. Jesus hell. rose again from the dead. Dogma. Jesus ascended into heaven. I mean, these are like you could even say that. Ha- like most of these are core. Like you would still say that these are. No, core, I think core, this core, is why core. this is where to start. Because right. even if you're not if you're not familiar with the Apostles' Creed, because you're not high church. Although I think we might have read this once at First Baptist, like. Daniel, our worship arts pastor, might have that's had us read it. That's something um, you would have known. If you're not, this is something. If you want to, if you want to wrap your head around something that this is what are the core. This is the place to start with. Right. So dogma. Uh, Jesus is okay. This no no no. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. Okay, that's not core. That's. I mean, sh- now now we're starting to get into this stuff that you're going to apostate yourself for. 
dogma. I, I don't think that, no, I don't even know if that's central to the faith. Like if you like legitimately, if you like envision it, but you still sh- like the, the understanding the symbolism of that is important to where you would say dogma. Yep. Uh, from, from there, Jesus will come to judge the living and the dead. Hmm. <laughs> dogma dogma belief in the holy spirit dogma yeah uh belief in the true christian church of all times and all places that's a that's, that's not, not how they, that's not what it says <laughs> no but but you know yes i, I know what know it means I, re- I was i was curious if you were gonna throw it at me and i was gonna be like just so we're clear, the original, the original, the original says, "I believe in the Holy Catholic Holy Church." Catholic Church, but Catholic is with a lower C. Right, and Catholic. and what it's meaning is exactly what he just said. And so, one more time, belief in the true church, Christian Church of all times and all places. Yeah, and just believing in and and really understanding what church means, and again that we are the body right. of Christ, and that we we have a mission, and we are here to do His His will. So, dogma. It's the last one that's going to get you. Belief in the communion of saints. <clears throat> it's dogma. It's in the it's in the whole New Testament. Dogma. Belief in forgiveness of sins. Dogma. Belief in the resurrection of the body. Dogma. And belief in resurrection of eternal life. Oh. You mean our body. I believe in our resurrection of our body and belief in eternal life. Oh, so my thing with eternal <laughs> life is I I still think that it could be interpreted in a different way. So I would still say dogma as my answer. Um, my thing is just... It could just look differently than maybe how everybody envisions it. So, unless you want me to elaborate on that, no, that's then... good. I think we kind of this is what the whole heaven and hell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I'm like, I don't like, I don't need okay. to really get into that too much. But so here, here it is. If you were to go to a reformed church of some sort, yeah, this is how you would most likely read it. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator or Maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. So you you read the Apostles' Creed. So I read the Apostles' Creed. Okay, so where are we at? All right, so there, that's foundational. I mean, this isn't going to be as controversial as I thought it would. All right. So now I'm going to go on to another foundational, foundational beliefs of the current Protestant church. Yay. 
the five solas of the Reformation. I am ready. So any of you out there who don't know what the solas are, solas means alones. They're the five principles foundational to the doctrine of salvation that pretty much all branches of uh, Protestantism, particularly Lutheran and Reformed uh, branches, believe. Actually, pretty much everybody in the in the U.S., this is foundational. This is like the heart of what it means to be a Protestant versus a Catholic. Uh they come out of Luther and the Reformation. I didn't I don't I didn't find anything like specifically like a date for when they came out, but they did come out of there. Uh you might go to a church where you hear something that says faith alone by grace alone and Christ Jesus alone. That's basically what it comes from. Those are four of the five. And again, it's just meant to reinforce the Protestant belief versus the Catholic belief that there is literally no work we can do. It is solely by the grace of Jesus Christ and uh, in dying on the cross and being our Savior that we are saved. But what does that mean, Tim? Yeah, that's that's always the... <laughs> the rub. That's the always rub. the rub. <laughs> so I'm going to go one by one through these. And for this one... I'm going to read two to three, I think it's three for each verses of the Bible that back up yep. the sola. Gotcha. So, sola, sola scriptura, or God's word alone, maintains that the Bible is the highest source of authority in a Christian's life. The final court of appeal, though not the only authority, the Bible itself mentions governmental and other authorities. Yeah, whatever. Uh... So, first verse is 1 Corinthians 4, 6. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn from us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. Second verse is 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. No prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. <laughs> yeah. For no prophecy has ever produced the will of man, but men spoken from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Verse 3, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I will include the solas. I will include the solas and the scriptures in the show notes if you want to go back through and you can't write all these down. So dogma is what we would say for this one. Um, the hard part about this one is that something that needs to be said, and I don't think it's something that we discuss on a regular basis. Not all scripture is created equal. Okay, this, yeah, this is the problem that you and I have with modern with modern Christianity in particular, but I probably the, just the Protestant faith uh, in general, and maybe, and it probably goes beyond the uh, Protestant faith, it, it was the Catholic Church before that, that we are dogmatically dogmatic about <laughs> the, about what script, about scripture and what it means. Yeah. And we assume... Okay, here's this is something NT Wright has pointed out. We assume 
let's just take the modern Protestant church. Uh, we assume that our interpretation, Protestants puff themselves up very much and evangelicals are even worse. Um, and again, we're saying this lovingly. It's not like you're, we're horrible people. I, I've, I'm somewhere between not an evangelical and am. I've been most of my life. So it, look, I love you folks. It's, it's just we puff ourselves up as being the one like evangelicals are the uber one true faith beyond just being Protestant. Folks, the things that you think are absolute gospel still have, this is what N.T. Wright points out, all kinds of man-made interpretations built into them. The Protestant faith had a lot of Greek interpretation of Scripture built into it. And by that, I don't mean like reading the original Greek. I mean having Aristotle and uh, yeah. a lot of the, the, the Greek-thinking early church people interpreting it built into that. They had their own biases. This isn't like pure, like we're literally interpreting the Bible the way Jesus wanted it to. Right. There are, there is two thousand years of supposition that's just plugged into our brains, in our worldview, and it makes us think that it's the pure way of looking at it. But that's not necessarily the case. In fact, it's probably not the case. Right. There is a, there is literally a whole church, the Eastern Church that we don't know anything about. I know nothing about it. I literally know zero about it. I know that it has a lot of different beliefs than what the Western church does. It has a different Bible than we do. I mean, it's not completely different, but it's got books in it differently than what we do. It has. It is different than the Catholic church. Yeah. I imagine its worldview is different than the Western Catholic Protestant worldview. Right. Does that make them wrong? Well, it I, takes an arrogant person to say, yes, it does. Why? Yeah, and I mean, I, I what I struggle with on this is, and more at a personal level, is, <coughs> is one. Um, a large majority, an astoundingly large majority of believers... Submit to the authority of the scriptures, but really, actually, what a majority of you are actually submitting to are the words of your pastor. So you right. would say that, but mm, a very large majority of believers don't actually read their scriptures nor really understand what they mean. So they trust the person up at the front to be able to tell them exactly what it means and what it's telling them. And so, therefore, a lot of people struggle – well, they, they develop beliefs that are just not necessarily true, right? You have these situations very similar to what we had talked about before uh, last week where you have uh, – and what we kind of talked about it before at the beginning of this podcast, you find these videos of these people just like taking these people apart. But don't get me wrong. Uh, those people have persuaded people. Those people never watched another video after that. They were like, oh, did you know that we don't know Jesus's name? And if we don't know his name, then like there's something. So, so submitting to the authority of the scriptures is extremely important. Um, but know that a lot of us are not 
fully capable of being able to to discern exactly what all of the scriptures mean and that kind of stuff. So um, just be cautious is what I would say with that one. Um, and just make sure that you're, the information that you're getting is is true and you continue to research and people make mistakes and, and you can own up and, and move past that and all that kind of stuff. The second thing that I have a problem with is again, what, we, what I said at, before is not all scripture is created equal. Yes, every single book was selected to be in the Bible, but there are certain parts of Scripture that carry more weight in a Christian's life than others do. For example, the church that we go to is an Anabaptist church, and they say that we are Christ-centered at our church. What that means is that we our divine, our ultimate authority in our Scripture is Christ and what what He did in His life, and so that determines what we do. We live our lives to replicate what Jesus Christ did, and so Jesus becomes the uh, the be-all, end-all for what it is that we do. Where we find that is in four pieces of Scripture, or four different books of the Bible. And then Paul's teachings elaborate on some of those things, and we can kind of see uh, from there. So again, not all scripture is created equal. So if you are looking at the Old Testament and you're looking at some of those things, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying throw the baby out with the bathwater where we're just like we throw out the Old Testament and all that kind of stuff. That's not true. That's not what we do at our church. We are just saying that we are here to believe that we are called by God to be like him. And the best way that we can be like him is to real is to imitate his ultimate revelation of who he is through his son, Jesus Christ. And so how do we see that? We see that through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so we replicate that in our daily lives. We're not trying to be like Moses. We're not trying to be like Joshua. We're not trying to be like David, even the man after God's own heart. The people that we want to be like is like Jesus. That's who we should be like or should try to be like. Agree? Disagree. Yeah. Um, I think the, yeah. So I think, look. This is absolute central. If you're, you know, if all you're doing is reading books by other people and you're not reading your Bible, that's a problem. Um, Unless you're reading C.S. Lewis, then that's okay. <laughs> um, well, C.S. Lewis is a perfect example. There's, you know, C.S. Lewis is beloved by a lot of people, but C.S. Lewis has a lot of things that. They're controversial. Are controversial. It's actually controversial. So, um, what was his? Uh, there's a couple where he writes where he writes as a demon, um, sending letters. Um, oh, screw tape, not screw tape letters. Screw tape letters one. is one of them. Well, here's a perfect example. He's got a real novel view of Psalm, the the Book of Psalms. In the Psalms, there's a there's a word for it. It's in prectory or something. It's it's it's. Uh, uh, we're gonna do an upcoming episode. We're gonna touch on it when we do our episode about um, loving our enemies. Um, but uh, what is it? The word. Yeah, impe- impeccatory. Impeccatory is the word. 
And it's scriptures, most of them are in the Old Testament, some of them are in the New Testament, like in Revelation, where you're basically, it's like you're cursing your enemies. Yeah. And C.S. Lewis has a big problem with those in the Psalms. He basically says, yeah, those aren't like things that we're supposed to, we shouldn't be emulating those. Those are people struggling in with what's going on, and they're asking for God to bestow galactic justice on their enemies and that's not actually how god wants us to behave just and just because it's in the scripture doesn't mean it's um behavior to be emulated there's a lot of people who find that like heretical no it's in there that means we can curse our enemies to god and he's okay with it i'm not going to get into the answer on that one tonight but how does that fit within your tight little interpretation of sola scriptura? All right. No, I that's, that's the problem. Good. It's always the devil in the details. So we would still say, ultimately, at the end of the day, we still say it's a dogma, but we do say be cautious about your dogma here. Um, be mindful that there are a couple of things that kind of dive into doctrine in the realm of opinion when you're looking at it. Yes, you should be, you should really understand that this is God's word. Um, what we have accepted is God's word. Um, yes, you should know that there are other scriptures, other writings at the time that mention things along the beliefs and those aren't necessarily included. Um, and maybe look at why those things aren't included. Um, see, it, a lot of people are always like, I want to read it and then figure out the why. Figure out the why before is what I would suggest. Go look and say, why isn't it that they did this? Or why isn't that they included this book? Right? We've talked about Timothy and we've talked yeah. about Enoch and that kind of stuff. Look up why they didn't. Um, and if it was just like, we didn't want the Christians. There's a book of Mary or something. Yeah. We didn't want the Christians to know about it. Um, is some, of not, them are, some of them are not included because they're redundant. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, again, it's not like. And some of them are just outright blasphemous. They're they're part of early splits from the church that weren't deemed to be. um, You shouldn't been in there. Yeah, and even some of them are like, it it doesn't even like make sense. Like you know, like I I don't know. There's a book of Judas too, isn't there? Uh, I I believe so. I think it's a different Judas, but anyway. All right, second sola fide. Oh, well, second sola is sola fide, faith alone, which <laughs> affirms that justification being made right with God comes through faith alone in Jesus Christ. Verses for this, Romans 4, 5 through 6. And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness, as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works that's one of the important uh bits of romans um where he ties david and uh moses and abraham back as kind of being original parts of faith is they're saved by faith we've always been saved by faith it wasn't through the the sacraments the sacrifices uh second verse galatians 2 16 Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we have also believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Jesus Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. And then the final one is Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. 
It is not by your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that none of none of you, not one of you, may boast. <laughs> okay. So for this one... I say that this one is a dogma and that may be surprising um, if you've listened to this podcast and maybe even Tim is a little surprised Mm -mm. by the fact that I've said that you and I both agree on this one this is where you I think you and I split with the modern I think this is where you and I are, are now maybe thinking out in our heads that Protestantism, there needs to be some merging of Protestantism and the Catholic thought into like a, the two things, like a new way of thinking. We're, we're too dogmatic one way or the other. I think when it comes to this one... Am I... Am I is Well, my, what I'm saying for this one is when we talk about faith and what we've talked about before, where do you necessarily have to have faith in order enough to be saved? This is what I asked you at the – we didn't have it in the podcast last week because we had got the mics and we didn't. And I said this will be a great podcast for us to talk about is whether or not um, – just – I was like – what it, what was the question I asked you? I asked you if uh, – is being saved the same thing as being a, a Jesus follower? Do those go hand in hand or No. And so when you say that you are a Christian, I believe that you are aligning yourself with a Jesus follower because that's what it means to be Christian. It means that you are wanting to be like Christ. Saved is the term that they've used here. There's a lot of arguments about what that means and what that looks like and that kind of stuff. So, But the reason why I say that it's a dogma is because what we're actually talking about here is what does it mean to be a Christ follower? That's what we're talking about. Not what does it mean to be saved. And so I say that in order enough to be a Christ follower, you do need to recognize, you do need to have faith in the person that is leading you. You have to have faith and trust in that person that that is who they are. That is, and so you need to follow their direction and their teaching. So that's what I say. I, I'm going to agree with that, but I'm also going to take it a step further. And I think this is particular for the modern time. I think it, it's always this has always been the case, but I think it's become more and more. This is more important in the era we're in. You and I were talking this before we recorded. We're in a strange time where information is at your fingertips. Most of it's shitty information, but in yeah. information, albeit. Um, but taking that even aside, there's there's a notion not only within academia, a good part of it. Let's say the vocal part of it. The vocal part of it that wants to be... There is an unhealthy amount of this belief in academia, and there is certainly a good part of it of folks who have gone to school and been educated within that academia that we kind of know everything. Yeah. And you and I were talking about um, 
there's this notion that we have, you know, we know who Abraham Lincoln was, and we know all this and this, and a lot of the stuff that we know were written on similar second, third-hand accounts that the Bible was written on, and yet we take, oh, 2,000 years ago, we're not really sure that these things were said, but we know that Abraham Lincoln did this, this, and this. Right. Look, there are certain things. I have it on my wall right behind him. I have the Gettysburg Address, I the second inaugural. We know those things happened. He wrote them down. He gave them. There was all kinds of second, third hand, 20th, 200th. We know those things happened. But a lot of things that we know about historical figures are little stories that have become big stories that then make it into history books and we're sure about. So what's my point? We expect in this age that we're in an age where you have to prove something in order to believe in it. Mm. Well, that's what we tell ourselves, even though even though we go through life really believing a lot of hocus pocus. Yeah, for sure. It, it's a dual thing. So all that to say is... I'm a Taurus, by the way. <laughs> yeah, you know what? At the end of the day, there's a level of faith that this cat from 2,000 years ago, who said he was, yeah, he said he was the son of God. He said it. You're, and you're either crazy or you're not if you go around telling everybody you're the son of God. So you have to believe either this, it's not like, he, oh, he was like this, create, you know, he was like the, he was like an early Gandhi or just some spiritual guy. If you believe that, then, he, then you're believing a, a crazy guy. I'm kind, of, I'm kind of doing the thing Bono has said before an interview. Yeah, you either believe he's crazy or he's not. So there's a level of faith. Yes, there's a level of faith in believing in Jesus. You're not. There's not going to be absolute proof right. that he existed. Right, and we talked about this before where we talked about you do have to believe in a supernatural element when it comes to our faith. Um, uh, you can. There's no dispute at this point. It's or. The dispute is not good. Let me tell you that. Like, historic, historically, Jesus existed. This isn't like Moses. Absolutely, Jesus this, absolutely existed. There's yeah. no, there's no dispute. Jesus didn't exist. It's just whether or not you think he's who we think, say he is. Right. You, you either. And here's where it becomes. It's, it is. You have the his. So you have historically Jesus existed, and what it comes down to, and why we talked about this earlier when we talked about the Easter, and why you were like, why is it that we idolize the cross over the resurrection, is because the leap that it takes in your brain is you have to acknowledge that if you are a part of the faith versus if you are not, you have to acknowledge the fact that Jesus Christ resurrected, correct, and ascended into heaven. So we, it, it's proven that he existed. Now it's, do you believe that he is who he says he is, exactly as you said? Right. If you just think he's a guru, then you're not a Christian. That's just, you're, not you're just, Christian. that's not what you are. You're not. Which is, thank you for listening to our podcast. Thank you for listening and we, and, and keep living as if, keep living as if, and we hope someday. Yeah. And if you buy into this, you're like, you know what? Like, I believe that's where you and I, I think differ with, with a lot of other people is I don't need you to believe day one. I'm not saying if you don't believe day one, then get the hell out of here and go 
go off and, you know, read some other book. Hey, sorry, I got new puppy, new Christmas puppy. And she's he's getting mouthy over here with the other one, with Jojo, who you're familiar with. Um, we're not telling you to just buzz off and then go find some other, you know, religion that you want to do. Buy some crystals and become a new ageist. Stick with it. But at some point, you're going to have to wrap your head around the fact that he is who he said he was. Yeah. And he did what he said he was going to do and did do. Yes. You have to put faith in that. And so that's – if you say that you are a Christian follower and you say that you are a Christian, then that is what you are admitting to. You have to admit that that is who Jesus is. And so I think we agree on that one. Correct. All right. Third one. Sola Cristo or Solus Christus. Or Christ alone. Emphasize the exclusivity of Jesus' role in salvation. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 14, 6. A couple of, well, there's a lot of verses for this one. I'll read just a couple of them. Titus. Oh. Titus 3, 5. He's saved, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Oh, boy. That's going to get us into baptism later. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. That was Romans 3, 21 to 22. And let me pull one more. One or two more. Philippians 2, 9 to 11. Therefore God was highly exalted, uh, has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name that so that the name of Jesus Christ every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That one you might have sung a song to. Hmm. Uh, here's one more. First Corinthians fifteen twenty eight and so and solely Deo Gloria, or to the the glory of God alone, says that the purpose of creation, salvation, everything, including our goal as Christians, is the glory of God, that God may be in all. I don't think that one has anything to do with it. Uh, Yeah, I think that that's a dogma. You have to recognize Jesus' divine authority. in the whole aspect of his death again that's why i asked the question earlier where where is it that our sins are paid for if you know how the whole system works and 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 you've gone through that great you know that god cannot be where sin is and so therefore we need to have our sins relieved from us and so he sent his son to pay for our sins and he becomes the ultimate sacrifice through that and so it is not without christ that we are able to be free from our sins um and and here's the hard part that i think is difficult for a lot of people is they're like so wait why does blood have to be shed for sins it's kind of a weird thing almost kind of like ancient uh right yeah like this is uh the the idea of sacrifice and we don't really get it in the american concepts of just this whole idea of sacrifice because when was the last time we all sacrificed something like oh and, and oh 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 but we do we we love we love our war movie we love our war movie where someone sacrifices we love 
when Jack Ryan sacri- you know, puts his life on the line. He doesn't actually die, but it talks about great sacrifice to the country. Yeah, but that, okay, but that's like, okay, that's the Jesus message of sacrifice. But before then, <laughs> before, I, what I'm talking about is like, so we're sitting there. So before in ancient and prehistoric, like you're looking at ancient civilizations, BC stuff. People are fair enough. The sacrificing of animals, the sacrificing of people, even right, like your slaves, um, that kind of stuff on altars. Like you look at oh yeah the Aztecs, you look children. That was like constantly this 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 dealing of blood to whatever deity. And believe it or not, the God of Hebrew of the Hebrews of Isaac of Jacob. Abraham, the God of Jesus Christ, the God of us, demanded blood sacrifices. Right. And so they sit there and they say, I have done wrong, and so I need payment. And so what do I need to do to make up for my payment? I need to give up part of my property to God. I have done something wrong. I have sheep as part of my living, my livelihood. These things give me food. They also acquire my monetary wealth. And so therefore I will lay them down at the altar and I will slay them in front of God because this is now no longer mine. I have done wrong. And so I need to pay for it. And so what you have through Jesus Christ and why this is such a huge ideal is that the debt collector has paid with his own blood for everybody else's sins. He sends his son, the debt collector who is acquiring all of this property from all of these people, has sent his own property to pay for everyone else's property. And that's why it's such a huge deal. If you didn't know why it was such a big deal before is because for anybody that knows debt collectors, they don't give you their property. No, but what's interesting is uh, in 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 Israel, ancient Israel, there is the concept of this is a bit of a side topic, but there is this, the concept of the, the Jubilee. Oh, you mean the thing that they never practiced? The Jubilee? So, yeah, they got in trouble for it. Yeah. They, it was like every 60 years it was supposed to be that you all debts were cleared. Yeah. That was the year of Jubilee, but nobody ever practiced it. Right. It was a decree by God that it was 100% that as soon as uh, after this certain year, then everybody's debts would be cleared. Clean slate. So again, this is stepping into that idea of this has actually been God's thing for a long time. Correct. That's why I brought it up. Yeah. This is... Uh, Right, and this is why Jesus is alluded to as a lamb in the New Testament because the lamb was what was usually sacrificed in the temple in the Old Testament. And all of this, Jesus, God is building as a Jesus follower. This is why we read the Old Testament. You can say you're going back and justifying what you want to justify. But we believe that God was setting the precedent, telling the story throughout the Old Testament of this is coming, this is coming, this is coming. Are you an open theist? (laughs) All right, last one. 
uh, I actually skipped one. Doesn't matter, but grace alone. Sola gratia says sinners are saved as an unearned gift of God's grace, not as not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Not as a result of works, so that no one may, may boast. Is Ephesians two eight nine. Uh, three other verses for by grace you have been saved through faith this is not your own doing it is the gift of god not as a result of works so that no one may boast that's ephesians 2 1 no that's not 1 through 10 uh <laughs> titus oh another titus wow titus is getting some love tonight titus 2 11, 13 for the grace of god has appeared bringing salvation for all people training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly possess- passions worldly passions and to live self-controlled upright godly lives in the present age waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of the great god and savior jesus christ then final final one is acts 20 32 now i commend to you god to you god and to the world of his grace which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among those all who have are sanctified yeah, I commend to you God and the word of his grace. That one, that one's an easy for us. That one, Dogma. that's absolute. Yeah, I think, yeah, uh, it's God's grace that saves us. And that's where we had kind of that issue with the faith one where it's, I believe that it is God's grace that saves us. And that's why I think that the faith one kind of conflicts a little bit because, again, it talks about that whole idea of there's nothing that you can do that earns it except for the fact that you have to have faith. Sorry, that was like a little like a little asterisk at the bottom, you know, so that's uh, and again, what does it mean to be saved? Um, That's kind of the discussion that needs to go. But again, I believe that we all have been saved because of God's grace and so that is something that we should as christians as christ followers believe going through um so okay so again if you're if you're a new christian or you've been a christian but you've been trying to struggle you're struggling with how do i break it down to somebody how and why i'm a christian this is like what does it mean to be a christian you want to just give the 30 second elevator pitch it's you can skip the the scripture part. You can skip. It is central to this. But if you're talking to somebody, you just tell them, "Oh, you got to be believe in the Bible." That it's faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone. I'm saying skip the Bible part, not because it's important. I got you, got you. I was like, wait, there was a fourth one. Faith yes. alone, by grace alone, in Christ Jesus alone. And if they say, "Well, how do you know?" Then you say you're. Script, scriptor, use your Latin that we use tonight. Scriptura, uh, whatever. Uh, sola, sola Scriptura. Sola scriptura. <clears throat> Sorry, I took a Greek class over summer, not a Latin one. My bad. Uh, Shout out the Catholics for making sure that we still got one, Latin. <laughs> two, three. Yeah, it's just four. It's not five. Okay, now we're gonna get. Now we're gonna get into the nitty gritty. Yes. Now we're getting into our controversials. Okay. Now we're getting into Mr. Uh, Spurgeon. Golly, how long have we been recording at this point? Uh, that's a good question. We're going to have to split this one in two. No, no, no. Uh, let's see. Uh, 
Okay, we just want to get we have ways to go. 124. Alright. Here we go. Buckle up, ladies and gentlemen. Here we go. Did you see it on the screen? No, I didn't. I haven't looked at anything. Right. Doctrine of election. Oh <laughs> okay. Now, let me so for those listening at home, maybe aren't familiar with election. Or you are, but you're wondering, all right, how are you going to define it? Here we go. Taking it directly from a website that's very pro Mr. Spurgeon. Very. One of the originators of it. One of the great Calvinists of his day. Election is God's choice of individuals to receive his favor before they had done anything good or bad. That's taken from Romans 9, 10 to 11. It is not a choice that is based on or in light of certain deeds or choices that we make, but is based solely on God's sovereign grace, Romans 9, 16. In Ephesians, Paul uses two different verbs to convey this idea. He writes that God's cho- God chose eklagomea, that's in Ephesians 1, 4, and predestined prerodizo, uh, that's in Ephesians 1, 5 and 1, 11, those who believe and follow Jesus Christ. More specifically, Paul states that God's choice of his people is related to them being predestined to be part of his family for adoption, Ephesians 1, 5. And I can read other verses if you want, or we can just dive right in. I think also something to note before we get into this is, um, especially when it comes to election. So uh, when we start picking apart some of these things, um, election does exist. You can't, uh, we cannot not acknowledge the fact that election doesn't exist. God, this is important. This is, let me stop right there. Let me put a pin in it. As I usually say, this is important. This is actually important because this goes back to what we were just talking about before this. It's great. You said that. This is why we use scripture. No, this is why scripture is important. There's no way around. You and I can't skirt around the fact that election is not used. And it's not just an English interpretation of a Greek word. You can take the Greek word and it is basically election. It is a concept that is talked about in the New Testament. Right. God has chosen people. We can't get around that. You can't say that Abraham wasn't chosen. You can't say that David wasn't chosen. Paul was chosen. These were chosen. The 12 were chosen. Chosen people. Like, that's fine. Congratulate. Like, that is what we need to acknowledge is that there are people that are chosen. um, Even still, like, when you look at Romans, right, and Paul is doing his... Is airing out a dirty laundry, if you will, where he's he's calling out both uh, Christians and uh, and Jews when he talks about this day of reckoning of when Jesus comes. It is the Jews will receive the first reward because they have been selected for right. this whole time, but they will also receive the first punishment because they have abandoned right. uh, God and his and his love and and what he has bestowed upon them, and so. That's kind of this whole idea, and then, and then the Gentiles get theirs and all this kind of stuff. Um, there is a chosen people. Just so we're clear, all people are chosen by God to be loved. That is that is where you and I uh, stray from that. What That has been bastardized, bastardized. by... 
much of the church, an entire segment of the church. Of anything, an, an entire segment of the church has said, "Jesus, God has only chosen a small amount of people. Just deal with it. It's got God in His infinite wisdom. We are not to 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 uh, question Him or or whatever, and just revel and be happy that the fact that you've been chosen and celebrate it. And we still have to go assume that everyone else has been elected, but." It's really just a small amount of people. Yeah, and ultimately what you've done is you have become the Jews. Correct. Not, And I mean, like, not to be offensive to the Jews. No, no, no. I'm talking about the Jews around Jesus' day where it is like now God has sent his son and he is calling out these Pharisees who are – you have become an exclusive club in, to where election no longer means election and now means actually elitist. Correct. You have now become an elitist as you believe that we are saved and right and, – and the way that people lean into this – is we can do nothing. We've done nothing. We've just been lucky enough that we have been chosen. We follow his words, and so the it lies on us. And then the Holy Spirit does its work, and we hope and we pray that it works with them, and they can join us as the elite. But if they don't, well, they weren't chosen. Correct. And what we're saying is that all people are God's chosen people. All people are. God loves every single one of us. And and most of those people, they wouldn't disagree. They'd be like, oh, yeah, God loves every single one of us. But we're saved. Right. But they're not. And so that's where it becomes kind of a problem. So, yeah. So that's what I would say before we get into the doctrine of election. Well, I think we just nailed it. There's probably a third argument that people make is... They agree with this that all, all are elect. They just choose when that moment comes to not accept the election, so to speak. Yeah, and so what we would say about this one? I we would say doctrine. Because of the church splits and the way that these people practice this and that kind of stuff. But ultimately, like, I would even argue that that's in the realm of an opinion. It's an opinion that people have made into a doctrine, which people are trying to make into a dogma. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and again, like, what I'm and what we were talking about with election, yes, God chooses select people to do work for him, but it's never I select people for them to be. Elite again. The whole idea of God choosing Abraham and choosing people to work with was He wanted to restore humanity from within. When that's the whole idea of the flood is I have wiped everyone clean and I'm not going to do it that way ever again. Instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to work from within. And so these are the people that I have chosen to work from within with. And so I need these people to work with the people that are around them and to show them love and to care for them. And and it's not supposed to be this exclusive club. There were laws originally that were to make it an exclusive club. The reason was this was a baby in infancy. 
you can't have your baby in infancy going around putting a bunch of different stuff in its mouth because then it can contract disease and so much it doesn't have an immune system for it to build up all of this stuff and these defenses and all this kind of stuff against it. So there were a lot of laws in the original section that kind of kept them in their own little solitude piece, but then they never branched out from there. They didn't, and instead, but they did branch out. So, so that being said, they did branch out, but then they let those people take them over. Right. Which was what was the, that was the concern of God the entire time was, listen, I want you guys to be the city on the hill to set people apart. You should be influencing them. They should not be influencing you. But the pressures became too big. You see someone like Solomon who prayed for wisdom. Um, he was gifted wisdom. He was so wise. And then you see the later part of his life where he lets, where he has so many different wives. Again, you can say that he has so many wives and blah, blah, blah. But again, that was for a lot of political moves um, for their area and that kind of stuff. Um, he, he was gifted wives regularly because Israel was viewed as a, as a power state, so to speak. Understand that these wives were used as political moves to say, hey, we want protection. If you're, if my daughter is in this man's house, then he will not attack my land. Right. Right. Like that's, that's what people need to understand because like a lot of people are like, oh, he's just like this, he's just like this, <laughs> the sex machine, you know, right. like that's who Solomon was. And it's like, no, you need to understand that again, women are used as property and so the women is traded to the man in form of protection. He will not come after me because that that's her father's land. So like, you know, um, and so that's how he acquired all these wives. But then he let them influence him and kind of dictate any, you know, the, te- the temple that he built that David was not able to see in completion was then riddled with idols of other gods um, towards the end of Solomon's life. Um, and so that's tragic, and, and that's what God tried to prevent through that whole process. So again, understanding that there is an idea behind what goes through this election process and that he has a plan for all that kind of stuff, but we oftentimes are not able to fulfill it. But we all now are elected. Every single person on this planet is elected. It doesn't matter who doesn't matter let me i'll i'll read one part it's a long one though but it's it's from romans and it's uh i think it's romans i think it's romans 9 not sure what chapter it is shoot it's romans something starts in six but this has a lot of the language you'll understand if you're listening where this idea of selection comes from and it's paul talking uh but it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But, quote, through Isaac shall your offspring be named, unquote. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said, quote, about this time next year I will return 
and Sarah will shall have a son, unquote. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was, she was told, the older will serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Oof. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. So reading that passage... You can see why people have taken this idea of election to say God's God and he can do whatever damn well pleases. And some people he's chosen to be followers of Jesus and some he hasn't. And who am I to argue with it? And Colton, you and I just, I think Paul's making a, a, an argument there, but that's not the argument he's making. Yeah, no, that's not what he's making. Like, I concede what Paul is saying. God can do whatever he wants to do. That's part of the faith that we were talking before, not only of Jesus, but of God. You submit, yes, you can do whatever you want. You are the maker of the universe and everything in it. You can do whatever you want. I am but a speck of dust in a small period of time of what might be a, a million other universes that God has created in his eternalism. Yeah. Who am I to question how he sets up the world? And you and I might find out when we die that the this harsher view of election is what it is. I just we just don't accept that, and it's not. This is our view of election is not outside the realm of. There are certainly people who, if you're a Calvinist, you're like, yeah, that's wrong. It's completely wrong. There's absolutely wrong. But if you're not, then you then you agree with our version of it. That we're all ultimately elected. Jesus died for all of us. It doesn't mean we're all going to be saved. Poor John Calvin just gets hated on and on our podcast on like a weekly basis. Poor John. He was a great man. He was. He. I, I'm like, <laughs> for anybody that's Calvinist out there, we we hate on you a lot. The reason why we do hate on Calvinism for a lot of it is I. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff that was progressive for the time that is just not beneficial anymore. Um, and so it's just very difficult. Um, we as believers need to constantly be growing. Yeah, I don't think John... John, I don't think Calvin was an apostate. He was, a, he was, you know, he took the church in a lot of directions it needed to go. He's just wrong on a lot of things too, though. But yeah, exactly. You just understand that the church continues to grow. Maybe again, we've turned him into the, the we've turned him into like the fourteenth apostle. Yeah, and everybody knows that that's C.S. Lewis. Like, I don't understand <laughs> why. Like, <laughs> no, the the issue with with that is just. Again, make sure that – just know that Christianity 
is growing. We are no longer in the dark ages. People are going to be... Historical people are going to be finding out information. Archaeologists are going to be finding out information. We need to grow and develop as things come out. Right. Calvinism was great in like what the 60s 50s I'm like it, it was very progressive it's not good now well you know 1500s <laughs> 1600s uh yeah it's we have to grow we have to grow and we have to develop All right. Uh, Next, what do you got? Start. All right. So I'm now going to get to some that might be redundant, but are phrased differently. We'll see if your answers match up. Okay. So far, we've been good. We're like one for one. We've got a one. We've got a 1.0 batting average so far. Well, I've got a couple cheap ones in here to wrap it up, but it was it was harder to find like dogmas that we like mock. So maybe when we're done, you can throw some out that. Or uh, doctrines that we can mock that are just like no, that's that's kooky talk. Well, I have a couple, but they're they're softballs. But I was uh, like, I felt that about the the last one that we had. I was like, I said that it was an opinion. I don't even know if it's <laughs> doctrine. Uh, Chris, Christians must repent, ask God for salvation, accept His grace. Christians must repent. Wait, one more time. Must repent, ask God for salvation, and accept His grace. I think we're we're getting into areas where I took uh, you just, quote unquote doctrine from, and it's not like crazy websites. It's uh, like you know major. I, I don't have each one annotated where I took it from, but we're talking just, like major like Christian denominations. And is stuff. this on a regular basis, or is this uh, one? I don't know. That's the doctrine. Christians must repent, ask for, for salvation, and accept His grace. Hmm. <laughs> I, it's not a dogma it's not a dogma okay it yeah. is either a doctrine or an opinion where we've now like uh, come to the part of the game show where we're like do 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 is this a doctrine or is it an well, opinion this is a good part you know this is a good we're going through these things and it, it, there are examples where people may, maybe need to be a little more careful about how they express their dogmas or oh well, and this would be a dogma for some people people are like you have to do this well and that's why okay so that's why i asked about this one-time thing because what i'm asking is, is about oh yeah there are certain denominations that believe that this is baptism this is what baptism is for some people well i was going to go more towards i think it's nazarenes who believe that you have to repent on a regular basis like th- if you, Cat- and if you Catholics don't, believe that, like well, you have, have, I was like, I know, but, 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 but there's even Protestants who believe this, and if you don't, then you know you're in trouble. Yeah, I, if I don't go to bed, put my before I put my head on my pillow. If I haven't repented for I've done for what I've done for the day, I might be in trouble. As a Jesus follower, I think that this is very good for you. Okay, fair. I enough. think that this is really good for you. 
is it central to your faith? Is it any part of what it is that you need to? So this is where, again, we talked about doctrines being a practice good, and putting yeah. your faith into practice. And so I would say, yes, this is a good thing for you to practice. Okay, good. The Bible is essential and sufficient for living the Christian life. The Bible is essential and efficient or sufficient for living a Christian life. I believe in the first part, but not the second. Yeah, I think it's essential, sufficient. Uh, look, the older you need, you, you need it. No, you you need it, but I think that look, the more you, the more the older you get, the as a Christian, the more mature you get. You need to be, you do need to be reading people and how they interpret the the scripture to help you and read it. If you're just reading it yourself, that's fine. You're fine. You're fine. But if you want to get more out of it, read other people to help you inform you. Like, what does that word really mean? What is the original Greek? What is what do what have other people over the centuries of being a Christian thought about? Yeah. Uh, again, I think that the Bible is essential. I think a lot of us. Like, I guess. Kind of, I guess sufficient is what I. The, what I, I had, it is sufficient. What I had said at the beginning of the podcast, or not even beginning of the podcast, like halfway through the podcast at this point, what I had said before was you need to be very leery about your knowledge that you think you have of the Bible. Right, right. Because it comes from a very specific person that's in front of you every single Sunday. And that person could turn out to, like, again, not know actually anything and is just, like, interpreting it from the book. Again, here's and here's some tips to know. When your pastor is getting up there, what are they referencing? Okay. Uh, again, if they're referencing from the Bible, that's fine. A, a lot of that's hard to catch. If they continue to reference from the Bible, that's – but – Again, are they adding stuff to it? That's also where it's problematic, where they sit there and they say, I often wonder about what that person's reaction might have been during yeah, this particular time, That's the kind of stuff for this podcast, but not church. <laughs> yeah. That's that type of stuff where it's like, again, this is, this is a person who has an authority over a lot of people's lives on the interpretation of scripture. And so if they start... If they start going on their own thing, one of the most famous ones, and maybe your pastor will get on it at some times. This is this is one of my favorite ones. It actually disgusts me that this happens all the time. It's in the book of John. Is it John 4? I'm pretty sure it's John 4. The situation with the casting of stones. Oh, the casting of stones is wonderful. So you have the casting of stones. So the, again, already this this particular story is actually not in the, not found in the oldest manuscripts. So this is already a story that's in question. Okay, this is one that's like I don't know if this is actually here or if it was added later. And John is already the oldest of the four books. This is already a book that is written 110, 120 years after the death of Christ. Well, everyone lived to 200 back then, so. No, that's not true. <laughs> he lived to like 35. Um, <laughs> so then, which uh, nobody like understands. Like nobody in our world can like grasp that, that they're like 
people only lived to 35? And so it's like, yeah, there were three generations, four generations before the books of John's oldest manuscripts were found. So we got the book of John. And we have this book, or we have this chapter that's already not in the oldest manuscripts, which we already know that the oldest manuscripts are late out of the four of them. And then Jesus decides to draw in the dirt. Well, tell the story for those who don't know the story. <laughs> for those of you that don't know the story, about. okay. Well, you're not familiar. You don't know. If you are not familiar with the story, yes, I, I need to stop speaking in Christianese. What ends up happening is Jesus uh, gets brought this woman. A whore. Yes, a, a woman who is promiscuous. Um and everybody is ready to stone her. And they are looking for his acceptance. This is a trap that they have set for him. Mm-hmm. And so they are looking for his acceptance to, to go. Because, again, also what you need to acknowledge is that Jesus is actually, believe it or not, even though the Pharisees disagree with him, he is still acknowledged as a rabbi. He is still a teacher. Um, he he was has, when he was 13. Yes, and so there's a lot of people that are acknowledging him as who he is and in that he is an expert on this. And so they bring this woman who very obviously should be put to death based on the old laws. And to which Jesus has this famous quote where he says, uh, Let he who is without sin cast the first stone. He does his little like mic drop, and then he goes and like, like, lifts up the girl because uh, he would be the person that would be able to cast the first stone, and he takes her and like consoles her afterwards. But before he says that, but before he says that, there's a long, there's apparently a very long pregnant pause, to which he draws, he draws dirt in the dirt, and what did he draw in the dirt? No, a dick. A dick. That's what he drew in the dirt. <laughs> so what, what What have we heard over the years? Uh, he wrote down all of the sins of every single person. So that's one of them. My favorite one is he wrote the names of the Pharisees because they'd been having sex with her. <laughs> it's like, okay, you and you. <laughs> sure, guys. I, again, what, what, my, what my friends say... Every single time is that he 100% drew a dick and balls in the dirt because nobody knows what he drew in the dirt. Nobody knows what he drew in the dirt. And it's, but, not, it's fine to it's fine for this conversation now that what your point is is a pastor standing up there and like trying to surmise what he said and then draw that as his conclusion of this big sermon that he's preaching is incorrect. It's the worst. No, yeah, yeah, if honestly I would be disgusted if you deal with what he said, not with what he might have drawn. If your pastor did that, I, I mean, would what be... he said was hard enough to deal with. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I would be absolutely disgusted which is, which if is, your pastor. To did be that. fair, that's why we deal. That's why the to pastors like to deal with the drawing because we don't actually want to deal with the very difficult thing that he actually said, which is. But he who is without sin cast the first cast stone. Cast the first stone. Which is literally no one. But also you need to understand that when it comes to Jesus, Jesus was acknowledging the entire time. When you look at the Sermon on the Mount, 
and you look at what he's trying to present, it is people that are constantly sitting there in the crowd thinking that they are doing everything right. Correct. And he sits there and he says, you think that you are free of adultery? What are you thinking about right now? Right. When you go home and literally, guys, I don't know if you acknowledge it or not. I was like, I think a lot of guys do when they read that scripture. When Jesus tells you that it's better to cut off your own hand than it is uh, than for you to not enter the kingdom of God, what he is saying to those people is he is saying, stop masturbating over other women and thinking that it's not adultery. <laughs> right. It's ridiculous. Right. And so that he's like, that would have been like, everybody would have been in shock. Like, what the hell? (laughs) You know, like everybody was like, golly. And that was something that people don't talk about already. Right. If you know Jewish history and you know how Jews are in that ancient time and even how Jews are now, that was something that was like, that was a big no, no. Like you don't talk about. No, you don't talk about anything in the bedroom. Not at all. And so for him to talk about that was insane. And so when people are like this whole like what I don't like and to get back to what we were talking about is the speculating and adding things in the scripture that just aren't there. That's not good at all. And so that's why I'm saying when you look at what we said is the Bible is essential and sufficient for living for the Christian life. Make sure that what it is that you are listening to and what it is that you view as your as your Bible is actually what is in the Bible, not some speculative piece that your pastor may be adding in. And if your pastor is constantly adding that stuff in, I would highly recommend looking for a new church. What about two beer drinking morons on a podcast? No, stay here. We're fine. <laughs> Again, you could just call us morons and you're just here for the good times. So We don't speak with authority. We're just <laughs> just I I don't know when we've like added stuff to the Bible. I just I'm Oh, come to... on. We did in the Christmas one. What did we add? What did we add? We went we had wild speculation about Joseph. Oh, what was Joseph's wild speculation? We said... Uh, we were wondering, like, Joseph, what was it like to be uh, Joseph when everyone knew his... No, 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 Tim, Tim, <laughs> Tim. That's called sympathizing. Come on, dude. <laughs> or empathizing with him. That's empathizing with, uh, with Joseph. Uh, no, we don't speak from authority. Um, yeah, I was like, if you had already been taking us at our word 100% of the hell, we would highly recommend you don't do that. Fact check us on everything. We also asked for that like last week. but Okay, here's a active involvement in a local church is essential for a healthy Christian life. Active involvement in local churches is essential for a healthy Christian life. That is a doctrine. Um... That is good for you to be a part of. Um, And when we talk about active involvement, it's just being involved in your community. And again, you have the best way to view this. And this is why I think it's one of the most awesome and most wholesome things is uh, home churches. I think home churches are awesome um, because you go to them and, and you really get down to the nitty gritty of 
Like, hey, these are the things that we need to make sure that this happens on a regular basis. Somebody needs to open up their home. They need to host. Um, th- there's somebody that is doing the prep work to start the conversation every single week. There's somebody who's, you know, got a space for the kids to play around and hang out. Do you have toys and all that kind of stuff for them to to be sitting there and doing that? If you want music, there's somebody that's there prepping all that stuff. That's why I think home churches are super awesome for you to be able to get a glimpse at what it actually takes for just eight of you to participate in in wanting to learn more and worship God on a regular basis. And then you put that at the large scale, at the big C level. Well, small C level, but... You put it up at the church level that you're... That most of you are probably used to. The corporate church level. The corporate church level. Yes, it is a huge ask to have... All of this stuff running smoothly every single week. Yep. And they need helpers. They need people. And especially when a lot of people think that, you know, pastors are overpaid and and that they're not using their money efficiently and all this kind of stuff. And you need to trust those in leadership above you and trust and trust your churches to do what they need to do. So I don't know. Uh, people have different opinions on that and that kind of stuff, but I would say that it's a doctrine. It's something that you should actively get involved in because you also – and for your spiritual health, it is very beneficial to make sure that you are involved and you are an active participant in the faith that exists. Um, if so. you're listening to this and you're not in a church, you are a follower. You can be a follower of Jesus. And not be involved in church, but you hold, but you're holding your, but you're holding yourself back. Yeah, I just want to be, yeah, punctuated even more. You're holding yourself back. So uh, next one, which is very similar. This one's held as dogma for a lot. Baptism is required to be a follower of Jesus. Can you define baptism for us? Well, I'm just. Gonna, how about this? I'm going to give you a couple of verses that those who believe baptism is required justify what they're saying. Acts 2.38, and Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 3.27, For as many of you who were baptized into Christ have been put into put on Christ. Galatians 3.25, But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus you are sons... Uh, what? Uh, okay. So there's a couple for baptism being required. Um, I thought I had... I thought I had an Acts one. You had an Acts one. You just read it. I did, but I thought I had the Acts verse. One of these... thought I had it, but I don't see it now in my notes. I thought one of these, if you read it, the first part of the verse, baptism is discussed, and then when he continues on, baptism is not a part of being a follower of Jesus. So, um, which Jesus himself 
talked about in I'm not sure I think it was Mark in one of the in one passage I think it's in Mark Jesus says those who believe in me and are baptized uh, will be born again or something to that effect those who do not believe in me doesn't then say also believe in me and are baptized will not he just says on the second time around believe in me all right so the importance of baptism baptism is a doctrine not a dogma correct what's the definition of baptism Take it well. Oh, well. Right. Are you saying that? Are you hold on? Baptism. Are you saying that water is involved? The wa- okay, that is okay. I know why you're bringing this up because baptism. Baptism is mentioned in several instances in the New Testament. Are you are you alluding to this where baptism is mentioned and sometimes it's baptism of fire, baptism of water, or you just? No, I'm alluding to it from the standpoint of. If you believe that baptism is not the acceptance of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and the repentance of your sins, then I don't think that it's a doctrine. I believe that that's in the realm of opinion. (laughs) Both of us would say that baptism is not required. Yes, that's why I say it's in the realm of opinion. Cor- correct. So, uh, again, what anything that I've said as doctrine, I will believe that that is a good um, use of your faith. I would say that this is something that you should practice. Um, well, I would say even baptism is probably in a doctrine because it's something you should do. If you're going to become a believer, you should get baptized in it. If you're gonna, if you become a believer and join a church, get baptized because it's a public, uh, pr- your public. It's it's your moment to publicly profess your faith to another group of believers. Sure, but could you not do that without getting your head dunked in water? Oh well, now we're just arguing over what baptism is. Now, okay. No, but I'm. But that's. I think that that's. Uh, so that's what my. Well, let's just start with the baptism, whatever it is. So if you if I said that baptism was where you publicly acknowledge that Jesus Christ with is some use of water, no use of water. No, I'm gonna okay. I'm no, gonna, I'm what I'm saying right now is if you did not no water whatsoever, you get up in front of the church and you say I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. If you said everything that they ask you every single time that they do a baptism and you answered it word for word, one hundred percent in front of a public audience, you gave your testimony. You said this is what it is. Blah 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 blah. There's no water. There's no ceremony other than you just get up and say that. Is that not the same thing or not? It is the same thing. Right. And to which I would say that is a doctrine. That's a good practice that you should do is that. And just so we're clear, it doesn't mean that you need to get up in front of 2,000 people in front of everyone. Again, in front of your home church that has six people. That's enough. Right. That's enough. That is what baptism is, is a public profession of faith that is what i believe it is and that's so, what it is when we do baptisms at our church and we are a progressive church but we do we do the dunking i'll admit i every time someone gets baptized at our church i get teary-eyed and and oh, i get for emotional sure. for sure because it's a huge, huge moment it is and I, I listen i'm not taking away from the no water. i know you're not i'm saying that the water inclusion is 
optional. Well, this is why this is included in here because you're just starting with the water being optional. We've had church splits and people and arguments over how the water's used if water is used. Yeah, no, uh, Church of Christ. If for anybody that's a Church of Christ listener, hopefully you you understand where I'm coming from. It is 100 percent their their belief that water is essential. That is a dogma. You cannot be saved without water. There's also a belief of the Mormon Church. I remember my uncle, who's a Church of Christ member. Um, he lives in. He used to live in San Diego, and now lives in Texas. But when he was in San Diego, I went and I would go to I would go to their church on Sundays, and we would have a good time. I listen. They 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 did a great job. They had a great service. One hundred percent. Their uh, their pastor, their teaching pastor, was actually one of the um, was an ex quarterback for uh, the San Diego Chargers. So. Really funny guy. Uh, really did a good job. And not a, not a well known quarterback for the San Diego Chargers. Not that there's any well known quarterbacks for the San Diego Char- Chargers. Bubby Brister. <laughs> Sorry, San Diego Chargers. Um, I was like, now they're the Los Angeles Chargers. But um, he got up there and he uh, and you know and on a regular basis. And then we went to a home church one Sunday. Um, that was associated with the church, and we did church there, and we did Bible study and all that kind of stuff, and it was really good. But meanwhile, in the process, they're talking about um, <laughs> they're talking about this guy who has legitimate paralysis. He has paralysis, um, or he's the, the I guess the term would be he is a paraplegic. <laughs> His entire body cannot move. The only thing that he can do is move his eyeballs. And they were doing everything within their power to get him to... And so they were looking for yeses and nos based off of the movement of his eyes. So they'd be like, shake your eyes sideways. If you say no, shake your eyes up and down if you say yes. To get him to acknowledge that he wanted to be placed in water to get him baptized because they were trying to save him so bad that they wanted to put him that they were doing everything within their power to put him in water to save him and my uncle was a part of this ministry of trying to get this guy to shake his eyes up and down to say yes right i believe in jesus christ and yes i want to be put in water because it 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 was the water that saves him And so there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that goes along with that. And again, we look we look at the situation with the guy on the cross. Most would argue that well, Jesus hadn't died yet, so he could just grant that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So the so the critic so we say those of us who say the baptism things overwrought guy on the cross. The response is, well, that's an extreme case to which one says... Well, that's a very particular case. Okay, but that's still acknowledging that there is a particular case. And yes, we're not Jesus, but... Right. uh, I think the, the other response is... Yes, we're aware of all the stories in the New Testament where it talks about... Uh... 
people becoming believers and getting baptized, but that doesn't mean that it always happened, I suppose. So it... The point is, there are instances where baptism... Baptism is certainly mentioned enough that we need to take it seriously in the New Testament. It's mentioned in the New Testament enough that we need to take it seriously. And if you are a believer and you've never been baptized or done something to what Colton is saying of some uh, public declaration of faith, you need to do it. If you don't, it doesn't mean you're not a believer, but you are holding yourself back, so to speak, in... um, You're holding yourself back in your in your life of Christ. Uh, one verse in particular um, that one could argue disputes the whole importance of baptism is First First Corinthians chapter one verse seventeen, and Paul says, "For Christ did not send me to baptize. Christ did not send me to baptize. Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel." not in cleverness of speech so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. So, um, take that verse what you will. But it's certainly important. It's not required. I think the guy, was the guy you were, was the pastor Miles, what's his dude's name? I was like, you'd be lucky if I remembered his name. Miles McPherson. Apparently runs a big church, Rock Church in San Diego. It's a pretty big church. All right, they've that's got it. like five or miles. Well, this says twenty thousand. They got five different campuses. Okay, so. that's it. Apparently, Philip Rivers spoke there, which I, I think Rivers is a Catholic. Which I'm not saying like, oh, he's just Catholic, but I'm not surprised Rivers spoke at his church. Yeah, that's that must be him, Miles McPherson. He was Chargers quarterback in the '80s. Yeah. He was, he was backing up 80, 82 to 85. So he was, he was the perpetual backup to Dan Fouts. Yeah, he was a backup quarterback. He never really like saw much time. And all okay, that kind of stuff. so let's start wrapping this up. We did baptism. Uh, let's do a few more. And then, well, let's do a softball. This is a big, fat, slow pitch softball. Right over the heart of the plate. Evangelical Christianity and evolution are incompatible beliefs that cannot be held together logically within a distinctly Christian worldview. That's an opinion. It's an opinion. I'm not even gonna. I'm not even gonna talk about that. That's an opinion. Get that shit out of my face. All right, here's a couple more. I'd fucking do a bat flip over that softball pitch right there. <laughs> I'm gonna finish up with a couple more. These are uh, quote unquote confessionals from the Gospel Coalition, which I talked about at the beginning of the podcast, which was founded by theologian D.A. Carson and Pastor Tim Keller. I don't know much about D.A. Carson, but Tim Keller's been a... I've been a big fan of Tim Keller for a long time. Yeah. If you don't like Tim Keller, you probably don't listen to this podcast, so um, somehow Tim Keller's become persona non grata in a lot of Christian circles lately. Uh, Okay. So again, confessionals. This is a interesting term they've used. I think they've used it in, intentionally. 
And again, this isn't a part of a church, but it's part of a movement they've started. It's a movement between evangelical churches and uh, reformed churches, which are two different things. Yes. Um, But is, uh, and Tim comes from the more, I think he and probably Carson come from the more reformed side. Uh, Keller's a Presbyterian pastor, so he's definitely more reformed. Um, but they've had some pretty prominent evangelicals like uh, Albert Moeller has at least written on his on their website. So they have reached out and built this uh, coalition that's seeking to kind of reimagine Christianity in this 21st century. Yeah. And they're already getting a lot of hate for it. All right. So confessional. I, I'm, I'm going to I've written down some confessionals. In their entirety, I don't know that we've got time. I'm not going to go through all of them at this point. I'm not going to read the entire. I'm going to try to read enough to where you and I kind of know. So number one, this is a good one. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. We believe that baptism and the Lord's Supper are ordained by the Lord Jesus himself. The former is connected with the entrance into the new covenant community. The latter with ongoing covenant renewal. Together they are simultaneously God's pledge to us, divinely ordained means of grace, our public vows of submission to the once crucified and now resurrected Christ in anticipation of his return and the consummation of all things. Opinion. I think that's a good doctrine. I'll be honest. The one thing I don't like about the church you and I go to is we don't do the Last Supper all that often. Now, we've done it less often because of COVID. I think that the Lord's Supper is an opinion. The Lord's Supper, sorry, not the Last Supper. The Lord's Supper. I knew what you meant. I think that that is an opinion. I think it's a good... But Jesus does say do often in remembrance of me. Sure. Now, I think I would say the church we were at before did it too often. Once a month? Yeah, I would. Yes. If you do it too often, it becomes rote. I, I just don't. Is it necessary to your faith? No, no, no. Like, no, no. again, no, no. we're not putting this in dogma or central category. If you never did it at all, what would happen? Would your faith be meaningless if you never took another Lord's Supper ever again? Would your faith be less if you never did it again? It wouldn't be less. I think it'd be less rich. Yeah, I mean, like this is. But then, but then again, I go back to. I go back to. I don't. I have never. I don't think. I. I can't remember. I'm not going to say I never. I. I can't remember sitting in a. I can't remember ever sitting in a service at a church that was going to do the Lord's Supper. And just preach on the Lord's Supper. And I think that's important. What does Jesus do the night before he's betrayed and is crucified? He has a meal with his closest friends. Sure. I don't think that's something that we should... That's something that needs to be discussed. That gets back to what you and I have talked about on every other podcast of relationship. Sure. I think that it's a really cool, like, okay, the Lord's Supper is, but here's where it's like, is it a, 
Is it a doctrine or is it an opinion? The reason why I say oh, that it's... Well, but the reason why I say that it's an opinion over a doctrine is because even though it's a really cool practice that we do, it doesn't take away from our faith at all. It doesn't add anything to our faith. I... For example. I agree with you. I think I'm just a little more... No, 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 no. Adamant. I, anyway... No, I think I think that what you're saying is good and there's and what I want to add to it is is yes, 100%. For anybody who has felt moved by Lord's Supper, I, I I don't feel like you're wrong to feel moved by those. You can feel the emotion and the passion especially from this meal that took place right before Jesus' death. And I'm going to tell I'm going to say something right now in front of everybody on this podcast I have never ever ever seen the movie The Passion of the Christ I haven't either I, I've the, sought about to watch it many times and just couldn't do it I've never even tried to sought it and seek it out my wife and kids watched it one and I think I was sick that weekend or something and couldn't watch it and everyone was like I would never tore, ever tore I would not be then, able yeah. to handle it I know who I am and I know that seeing that visually would literally tear me to shreds yeah. to where I would probably like need to seek counseling. <laughs> yeah. Like I wish I was kidding, but like that, like that's the level that it would take me to. And so to understand what this meal means, 100%, it's a really cool element. Um, but what you are actually doing now is what you've done through this process is that you have now made it religious. That's fair. Well, I guess that, yeah, I guess that gets back to doing some tri- uh, I I'm going to use a pejorative term and I shouldn't some trite sermon on something else and then go into now we're going to do the Lord's prayer. Yeah, the Lord's prayer is interesting. I think that so, sorry, the Lord's supper. I keep the Lord's supper. We're going to do this trite sermon, and now we're just going to do like, okay, now we're going to hand out some juice and some crackers and, and do the thing. Right. It has less meaning. And so I agree with what you said, where you said that that if you do it less often, then it it hits harder. It, 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 it It's closer to home. You know, it is – this is something that it's like, wow, this is, this is something that means something. Um, yeah, like I, I might be speaking on a turn, but my aunt is Episcopalian, and for like for for a summer, I lived down there where she lives in Mississippi, and I had no problem with like Episcopal Church, but they do the sacraments, and I think the Catholic, the Catholic Church does it. Again, if I'm wrong, then definitely send all your hate to me or your corrections. The sacraments is basically. You're basically doing the Lord's Supper every single Sunday. Every Sunday, yeah. No, that's what the Catholics do. I'm not being. I'm not saved because I'm eating some bread, the the bread of Jesus and the blood of Christ. No, one hundred percent not. And so that's where I think you need to like gain some distance from that. I think that it's a really cool practice that you need to engage in. If you decide to go to one, I think that this is the best. I when I was growing up, the only time that I ever received it, and so that may be why I have a difference of opinion, um, is because this is the only exposure that I had to it growing up. Is the only time ever growing up that I ever with the church that we went to that we ever did communion. 
was on a Good Friday service. Oh, ab- 100%. That's different. Right, but that's what I'm saying. Is like, now you feel... Because you're actually doing... And this is when they talk about it, right? This is the blood. This is the body. Right. This is where it means something. This is when people come here and they know the sacrifice that was put to put forth on a Friday and or a Thursday, depending on which book of the Bible you're reading. Um, this is when he comes through, and this is when the meal happens, and this is when it means something. It means something. And so... But you do it once a month, and yeah, your pastor does some slight two-minute thing to reference it, and therefore it kind of pulls it together there at the end. Yeah, and then you you know you do the bread, and then you say that you know one says this is my body. And actually, one of the best things that I think ever happened, and and uh, Tim and I had a had a certain situation with our church that we had, and we had to leave. But one thing that I did enjoy that they brought through that process was they made it to where. A lot of times they hand that it, what it used to be. They would just hand it out. The song would finish after the ushers had already handed it all out, and the ushers would walk down. They would stand in the front. They would get handed their share, and then the pastor would say something and that kind of stuff. It this became, is my body, broken for you. Blah 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 blah. It became, and that's was, when you it was and that's wrote. it was very ritualistic. It was very ritualistic, and so you would take. You knew what was coming out of Brandon's mouth before Brandon said it. Not blaming Brandon because Brandon was doing what he was told to do. And what's really funny is that Brandon was the one that was like the one that I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of Bob 1.0. Uh, and well, both so, of them. But then when when the the new pastors came in, they they changed it. And they were like, we want a more open format. Where it's like, we do this and we want you to come up to the table and maybe you got some stuff that you're dealing with and you want to pray about it. We got prayer people on the sides and that kind of stuff that you can come up Find and Find a group to of and... people and you guys yeah, exactly. get together. Because that's really what it was about. Exactly. That it... <laughs> We lose sight of the fact that it was a meal. It was a meal. He was... We're going to be talking about this on our Easter service. We got a couple of things that we're going yeah. to be talking about. We're going to be well, this goes about... back to the what Forrest... Uh, before the right before Christmas was he spent a whole month talking about the importance of meals in the New Testament. Yeah, and we and this was one of them. And so the point is that we have to have big meals with everybody. But is what is it that we what is our equivalent to meals in the twenty first century? Maybe it is meals. Maybe it should be meals. What are those situations that bring us around together? I love meals. Beer. It's beer. It's beer. It's beer. It's definitely beer. But it is meals. Beer, beer. Often it's it's beers or... Dilly, dilly. Dilly, dilly. All right. So it's it's opinion. It, it, it is... Uh, well, if you want to use a high... It's, if you want to use a high church word, even for low church, it's, it's an important catechism. It is something we do because we're called to do it. We can, we can argue over how often to do it how often not to do it. I think you and I both agree it should be done less often and should be done with more... Finesse. <laughs> no. Finesse, solemnity, <laughs> with more important... Uh, again, talk about the meal. Don't just talk about what Jesus says about this is my body and this is just the fact that he he wanted to have a meal with his 12 best friends. Yeah, I agree. Before he went off and prayed, and apparently was so torn up about what he knew was going to happen, he was literally bleeding sweat, uh, bleeding, uh, sweating blood. Good God! 
Uh, okay, here's another one. Uh, same category. The fall. We believe that Adam, made in the image of God, distorted that image and forfeited his original blessedness for him and for all his progeny by falling into sin through Satan's temptation. As a result, all human beings are alienated from God, corrupted in every aspect of their being, and condemned finally and irrevocably to death, apart from God's own gracious invention, blah, 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 blah. Uh, Opinion. I think this doctrine. So, what I think of as doctrine, and this is why I'm going to clarify, is I think that it's something that enriches your your spiritual. Okay, I agree with that, and this is why I say it's doctrine. I think it's in, it's essential for every person to admit, and I. This is probably something I could have included on here. Sorry, maybe, okay, maybe what I would say is that I felt like that was too specific. Okay, but would you accept that all... There's a fall? Sure. All humans are are ultimately sin, are sinners. Yes. There are no quote-unquote good people. All fall, to use a, 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 a Christian phrase, all fall short of the glory of God. Because yes. if we because if we don't accept that, then some of us don't need Jesus because we're good enough. Yes. Don't get me wrong. Like when it comes to if we're like talking about psychologically, and we talk about are people born good or are they born evil? Oh, I'm not talking about that everyone's evil. That's yeah. That's the that's the kind of extremism that people like. So are all people evil? No. But it's also not. The we fact all mess that, up. Right. We all mess up. Uh, we are all in need of a savior. Yes. That doesn't if that's, mean we're all if that's born what Hitler. if that's what that is, then yes. I don't even think that that's a doctrine. I think that that's possibly a dogma. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Good. Uh, let's maybe one one more. Yeah. Okay. This one. We'll do this one. This is the last one. There's a couple others we could do, but we're two and a half hours in. Creation <laughs> of humanity. We believe that God created human beings, male and female, in His own image. Adam and Eve belong to their the created order of God himself declared to be very good, serving as God's agents to care for, manage, and govern creation, living in holy and devoted fellowship with their maker, and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> opinion, right? You're going to say opinion. You think God are going to say opinion for if we were created in God's image? Wait, okay, hold on one more time. Give it to me one more time. So that way I make sure that... How about I just read the first sentence and then stop there? Okay, let's go with that. We believe that God created human beings, male and female, in his own image. No, keep going. Adam and Eve belong to the created order that God himself declared to be very good. This is, that's what the Bible says. That's what Genesis says. Serving as God's agents to care for, manage, and govern creation. That is what Genesis says. Living in holy and devoted fellowship with their maker. That is what Genesis says. Men and women equally made in the image of God. Yes, we accept that. Contra to what much of what Christendom has <laughs> maybe not believed but functioned for 2,000 years. Enjoys equal access to God by faith. In Jesus Christ, and both are called to move beyond passive self-indulgence 
to significant private and public engagement in family, church, and civic life. And then I do dot, 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 because I think it goes on for another paragraph, and the rest of it wasn't. I think it was more dealing with traditional gender roles, which I don't want to get into. Doctrine. Okay, good. The reason why I would say that that's doctrine, and I know that you were like opinion. Um, I thought that's what you were going to say. The reason why I say that that's doctrine is because I think it's very, it's good to know that you are gods. It's good for you as a believer to, and this is where I think that, again, what we talked about with doctrines is where it's like through acknowledging this or practicing this, you like it is good for your spiritual health. And so in this aspect, I believe that this is good for your spiritual health to know that where you come from, I think, it again, it, it falls into a very specific category to where there are a couple of opinions that you could possibly have about that whole situation. But ultimately, you need to know that God has selected every single person on this planet. He wants you to rule over this planet and he wants you to be caretakers he wants you to be gardeners not kings and dictators and that kind of stuff he wants consumers you to, of right he wants you to be it, yeah. a gardener he wants you to be somebody who a caretaker a caretaker that is what our purpose is on this planet and so i think that that is a podcast in and of oh, itself. That is both a conservative and progressive statement of faith, confession, all in one. That is, we are created by God. We are created man and woman. Now, that can get you off on the stuff we won't get into. Yeah. But man and woman both serve a role. Yeah. Not only in family, but in the church. We are called to be stewards of the earth. Yeah. And so whether or not one believes in uh, global warming or not, we are called to be stewards of it and not abuse it and be strictly consumers of it. Right. And that's, well, I think that that leads to another podcast. I say that we should do a caretaker episode of the go to hell podcast because we should talk about that. So I don't think that it's for tonight because we could sit here and talk for no, another no, half hour in that discussion and we're already two and a half hours in. So you want to wrap it up here? Yeah. Well, if you listen to this Go to Hell podcast two and a half hours plus in, we thank you very much. We always thank you for listening to the Go to Hell podcast. Uh, please, uh, as we said at the beginning, uh, re- uh, always subscribe, rate, and review us. On whatever your podcast app of choice. Uh, I heard from a few people this week that I said we're on Spotify and we're not. I don't know what the hell is going on with Spotify, but Spotify, you can go to hell because you've said you've approved us and we should be on there. And yeah, I've searched and I can't find the Go to Hell podcast on there. So I don't know what's going on, but you can get us on iTunes etc etc post your comments questions criticisms tell us to go to hades at the go to hell podcast dot substack dot com hit us up on twitter at the go to hell pod or instagram at go to hell pod 
email me at tim at the go to hell podcast.com or colton at go to hell podcast.com and if all we can do is well wait what tell him to have a happy new year oh yeah and have a happy new year we've had like what (laughs) two we've had a triple i think two triples two triple ipas sorry what is this we didn't mention the second beer we're drinking actually Wow, at the very end. Poor Dust Bowl. All right, we're going to drag this out a few more minutes. If you're just listening to this. If you're just listening to this, Andy Flores, if you're listening to this and you hear this part, I will buy you a bottle of whiskey. What what bottle? I'm not going to tell you what bottle of whiskey, but you tell me you heard this. Andy Flores. We are drinking Dust Bowl Brewing Company Therapist. No appointment necessary. Imperial IPA. 10.4%. What is an Imperial? That's like, that's, that's like a... It's a double IPA. It's a, it's a double and a half IPA. So, yeah. We're well uh, IPA'd into this thing. So, uh, I think Dust Bowl is clearly in... Leading in the uh, clubhouse with the most mentions on the Go to Hell podcast. Anyway, yeah, Andy, if uh, you tell me you heard that, and I'll get you some kind of bottle of booze. Uh, otherwise, if you don't like Dust Bowl beer, go to hell.